The Marine Corps is currently mid-force design 2030 implementation, and depending upon where you sit, be it active duty, reserve, retired, a member of a sister service, curious taxpayer, or one of our many allies and partners, you're aware of some of the paradigm shifting changes that we're experiencing. Much of the information provided to these audiences is post-decisional. The rigor applied by the Combat Development and Integration Enterprise to inform Force Design 2030 modernization efforts is often ignored for the sensational headline. Today we're going to dive into the world of wargaming and the organization responsible for this effort, the Marine Corps Warfighting Laboratory, or McWill. On today's show, I'm speaking with the director of the Wargaming Division at Marine Corps Warfighting Lab, Colonel George Schreffler. Sir, I'm excited to have you on the show today. Welcome. Hey, thanks, Tripp. I'm really glad to be here and looking forward to talking about what Wargaming Division does and about the new center that we're going to open in a few years. So before we get into the Wargaming Center, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm a native of Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Grew up there and um, went off to school at the Virginia Military Institute in the early 90s, and I was commissioned into the Marine Corps in 1994. I became an infantry officer, and that's what I've been doing for the last 29-some years. So if you don't mind me asking, what was it that made you choose the Marine Corps? Reading about World War II. Okay. And I had really broad interests, and everything about World War II fascinated me when I was a child. The exploits of all of the U.S. services and our allies and partners eventually focused me in on the Pacific campaigns and the role that the Marine Corps had. That's what inspired me when I was younger, and since I was about 10 years old, I've wanted to be a Marine. What is it that now you, you like most about being a Marine? The people that I serve with. When I decided I wanted to be a Marine, it was the history and traditions of the organization. It was the challenges that the Marine Corps had overcome and the battles that it had won. And in the process of becoming a Marine, the challenges were front and center. The Marine Corps has delivered on the promise of continuing challenges every day that I have served. It's kept it interesting, but it's the people that I have served with who have made it fun and have inspired me. That continues in this assignment at the Wargaming Division. It is about the people. They are the Marine Corps' center of gravity. We could not accomplish the mission without them. When I think of McWill, I mainly think about experiments with equipment, tactics, being played out with Marines in the field, but I believe it's much more than that. Can you give us a quick overview of McWill from the 10,000-foot level? I sure can. And you've hit some of the most visible um, aspects of the warfighting lab. The experiments are what everybody sees. That's really my first exposure to the lab as a young company commander back in 2003 when I took part in the Urban Combined Arms Experiment, um, which really enhanced what our unit could do and I think what the rest of the service could do, and that played out in the uh, long war. But today, the Warfighting Lab is equipped with a, a commander, his supporting staff, and subordinate organizations. Those subordinate organizations include the Wargaming Division, which I lead, and I know we'll talk more about what the Wargaming Division does here in a few minutes. The Experiment Division, which does live, virtual, and constructive experiments with units in the fleet and other parts of the Marine Corps to ensure that the science and technology that we are developing or finding from industry fits into the organizational constructs that we're recommending and that our units receive the best organization and the best equipment to enhance their ability to conduct the mission. I mentioned science and technology, and there is a division within the Warfighting Lab that does just that. What do our Marines need to be lethal, to be effective, and to win? We go out and find the best that industry has to offer, and in the cases where there isn't something to offer, we identify 
what the requirement might be and feed that into the other parts of the Marine Corps' uh, combat development integration exercise and the acquisition side of the Marine Corps Systems Command. Right. So looking a bit at what's the art of the possible to put into requirements for, for That's us right. to fulfill. And in addition to those divisions within the Warfighting Lab, the staff has critical elements that contribute as well. Within our G3, for example, is the concepts branch, which was formerly a division of its own, but now it's integrated within the operations directorate that writes the concepts that shape the war games we play, the experiments that we do, and the uh, eventually the doctrine that the Marine Corps applies to, uh, to win battles and contribute to winning wars. A expeditionary advanced based operations is a good example that most people are familiar with over the last few years. Our G3 also has a modeling, simulation, and analysis capability that can depict the problems and challenges that we encounter in wargaming and experience with computer and other simulation tools to get a look at um, a particular capability, play it over and over and over again, and tell us what works and what doesn't, or what has a reasonable chance of working or what may not before we uh, play it out in, with live forces. What is McWill's formal role in war, formal role in wargaming, and really, what is wargaming? Wargaming is many things, and most Marines are familiar with it from the perspective of the Marine Corps planning process and wargaming courses of action to refine and then eventually select the best one that becomes the commander's order and gets executed, whether that's in a training event or in an actual operation on the battlefield. But wargaming up to the service level addresses a number of things that the Marine Corps needs to do um, within its headquarters, specifically concept development. When concept writers have their thoughts and draft a concept, we can put those to a test at low cost and in a short time with a war game that simulates reality and puts us into a particular time and place and allows us to consider the challenges um, that we might face. And we do it with real people and we bring real opposing wills together. A red cell, the adversary, the blue cell, the friendly forces, a white cell to adjudicate the interactions between the two, and potentially a green cell to represent allies, partners, or other organizations that might impact a game. The point of the matter is, war games are useful because they force decisions by the players and they're competing against each other. And whether or not a particular scenario would play out exactly in the real world is not nearly as important as the lessons and implications that are the results of the game and can help to, in this case, refine a concept. We also play war games in order to contribute to capabilities development, a particular piece of equipment or a platform, whether it's an aircraft, a communication system, or something else can be played into a game, and we can explore it in many different situations force people to make decisions about its employment, and improve the product on the backside. Another case that we do quite frequently is proofing operational plans. If a Marine Expeditionary Force or any of their subordinate units has something that they want to test out, we can create a war game for it that allows those commanders and their staffs to make decisions, and we can provide them insight about what worked and what didn't in the game. Wargaming also has applicability to training and education uh, as well. And although we do not do that as a primary use case at the Marine Corps Warfighting Lab, the Krulak Center at the Marine Corps University and other organizations in the Marine Corps and other services contribute to training and education of our Marines, sailors, soldiers, airmen, and our allies and partners in the professional military education courses that we do here at Quantico and other locations. So are we talking like run a scenario for a unit once or a hundred times or... 
make some changes each time. Hey, this time you got less ammo and you know, what are you going to do with that? Exactly. We can change the variables that apply during a game, which will change the decisions that the players make. We use a lot of different tools to do it as well, although they're primarily divided into discussions, which are informed by subject matter experts who know what they're talking about from experience and are usually played in a game where we don't know a whole lot about the problem that we're trying to solve. Okay. So we're trying to narrow in on that. We can use board games. And a lot of people are familiar with Risk and Stratego and things that they played when they were kids, Dungeons and Dragons. Hey, there's always jokes about rolling dice to get war game results. But quite frankly, board games are and rolling dice is an important decision-making aid based on probability tables that the dice rolls yield a specific result that inform decision-making. Again, the specific result is not as important as forcing a decision and driving interactions between the um, between the players in a game. As we get more fidelity about a capability or a situation, we can also transition into computer modeling and simulation tools, which are the rage, but do provide a, a useful tool to give player feedback and are very popular because of their ability to represent a large number of variables and just as you mentioned, to change those specific variables and be able to trace them throughout a game. So you can see what your inputs were, what decisions were made during the game, what changes resulted from it, and what outputs uh, came from the game. You gave a microcosm of the games I played as a kid, whether it's, you know, Risk and Axis and Allies and Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, But are we to the point yet where we're looking at, uh, I'll throw another one out, the Kobayashi Maru type test from Star Trek? So I haven't seen that as uh, as a capability that's laid out yet. However, you could imagine, and I'll walk you through it, how we could get to something just like that very quickly. Computer modeling and simulation tools are being overlaid with artificial intelligence right now. And some of that is uh, science and technology development, and some of it is real time. I know we'll talk about it more as we get into the, uh, the Marine Corps' future wargaming capability, but absolutely the future includes all the tools that I just described to you and computer simulation tools that are enabled by artificial intelligence. And that artificial intelligence can play a number of roles, but one of the things it can do is allow you as a single player or you as a single unit to operate in a game scenario that includes all of the adjacent hire and subordinate organizations that you might not have the manpower to play out in the game, but can be done by the, by the AI and the computer and yeah, give you that simulation and a real good player experience. Okay, so I find that exciting and I look forward to, to watching that happen over the next several years. So Systems Command and the Warfighting Lab, I know we spend a lot of time on shared projects, concepts, working together. Can you touch on on how we've worked together on the Wargaming Center? There's a lot of folks involved in the Wargaming and Analysis Center. And quite frankly, a primary relationship is the one between the Wargaming Division at the Warfighting Lab and the Program Manager's Office for the Wargaming Capability at Marine Corps Systems Command. We talk nearly every day to get ready to open the center and develop all the capabilities and align all the things that need to go into it. But there's other players that are important as well. And the rest of the combat development integration enterprise matters. The capabilities development directorate within combat development integration actually holds the requirement for the capability uh, and is responsible for delivering it for the Marine Corps. The Naval Information Warfare Command Atlantic is responsible for the information technology and audiovisual systems that will eventually go into the final capability. And industry contributes as well. British Aerospace Engineering, as one example, has a key role to play 
by delivering the uh, the war game software that's going to go into the A-Center eventually. The Marine Corps Warfighting and Analysis Center, that was its formal name. We'll talk a little bit later about it. It's, it's what we're calling it. But uh, tell us about the capabilities origins. Who thought it up? And uh, what are we doing to make it a reality? So there are, there are a lot of leaders and key contributors to what eventually became the Marine Corps Wargaming and Analysis Center. And going as far back as 2015, but probably before, folks within the Combat Development and Integration Enterprise identified the need to do more comprehensive wargaming, to combine it with the analysis that other parts of the uh, CDNI enterprise do, and to produce more defensible analytical results to underpin the Marine Corps' recommendations and decisions for the platforms that it would acquire and the way in which its forces would be organized and then employed on the battlefield. The person who is the originator of the requirement and, the, and who put it in motion is the former Commandant General Robert Neller. He, like many other Commandants, have testified in front of Congress and to other parts of the uh, Department of Defense on what the Marine Corps' required capabilities were. And on more than one occasion, he was less than satisfied with the information he had to underpin his decision. To make us better at that, this capability was identified as a requirement, and General Neller signed it in 2017 and started the entire process that brought together all the folks that I described to you earlier to eventually build the facility and construction on that started in 2021 to create an advanced wargaming software that would contribute to uh, the wargaming and analytical capability and to bring together the team that would operate in the building to deliver better wargaming and analysis results for the Marine Corps. So General Neller is the, uh, the father of the wargaming and analysis center with help from a lot of others along the way. And that's why General Berger decided that the center would be named for him. So the General Robert B. Neller Center for Wargaming and Analysis, which will inevitably shorten to the Neller Center, just right. like the Gray Research Center is the, uh, the GRC, is the place where we will operate when it opens. Can you give us a brief overview of what sorts of games, maybe I say games with uh, finger quotes, we'll be able to run at the center? We can do a variety of things in the Neller Center or will be able to do a variety of things in the Neller Center. Quite frankly, we're doing many of those things right now. The key difference will be we will have a building with over 100,000 square feet and the capability to divide that space into any uh, separations we want in order to play a game, to play more than one game at once, maybe even to play more than two games at a time. So going back to those use cases we described earlier, we might have one place where we're working on enhancing a concept something that McWill uh, concept writers or other organizations concept writers put together, and we're playing a series of games to help them develop that. And over a period of months or even years, we refine that concept and make it better to the point where it's ready for experimentation and implementation. Another game might be concentrating on capabilities development. In other words, how does this particular aircraft or this particular munition or this particular command and control system contribute to a mission that the Marine Corps needs to conduct. How does it enhance our capabilities? What are its limitations? What things about it do we need to protect once we field it? And this can be thing for things that we don't have yet and we want to put into the mix, or it can be thing for things that we, have, we already um, are employing within the force and finding ways to combine them with existing and future capabilities in new ways that create a dilemma for, their, for our enemy. 
one of the things that we find out consistently throughout war games and the results that they produce are that um, maneuver warfare and combined arms operations are still things that apply. And the future looks more like the past in those regards. We still want to apply maneuver warfare. We want to think and place our enemy in a dilemma from which they cannot recover. We want to combine the capabilities that we have and figure out how to combine the future capabilities that we're going to acquire in such a way that they put the enemy in an unwinnable situation. War games contribute to that. We talked about proofing the operational plans that the fleet marine forces develop. Whether you're a marine expeditionary force, a marine air division, air wing, even a MEF information group, you'll have the ability to come into the Wargaming and Analysis Center and play a game and come out of it with results which will help you refine it, make it more effective, and make it more lethal. Eventually, after we've got our feet on our ground in those three primary use cases, I expect that we'll move into supporting the training and education enterprise within the Marine Corps as well. And I already mentioned the Krulak Center, which is already operating and integrating with the schools in Marine Corps University to give our students an understanding of what wargaming is, how wargaming can be conducted, and sending them back to the uh, back to the fleet with an understanding of how this can enhance their operations and their efforts. I think that will also create a feedback loop where once those officers and Marines hit the fleet, they're coming back to Quantico, to the Krulak Center, and to the Neller Center for assistance with the operational and tactical challenges that they're facing. You've talked a lot, and we've talked a lot about the Marine Corps, but we also talk one team, one fight. So certainly, it's the Neller Center, thought up by a commandant, implemented, you know, built by Marines, built on a Marine base. What kind of benefit can the Neller Center bring to our sister services, uh, some of our allies? What, what can it do to help other organizations outside the Marine Corps? The future of warfare is joint. It's also combined and coalition, combined with our allies uh, and our coalition partners. Frankly, warfare has been joint and combined for quite some time. Who wants to fight without friends? Nobody. Well, it's going to be necessary for survival and it's going to be necessary for victory in the future. And the Neller Center and its capabilities and the wargaming division that operates within it is going to connect to the other services. Right off the bat, the most common example we give is the wargaming department at the Naval War College. But all the other services have wargaming capabilities as well. Our closest allies have capabilities and are actually interested in some of the technology that we're putting in the Neller Center to enhance their capabilities as well. There is an Australian exchange officer within the Wargaming Division at the lab, an Australian Army major who serves as our plans officer. We have a close relationship and monthly engagements with the uh, Royal Marines from the United Kingdom. And the list goes on of, uh, of our friends that we need to talk to and we need to integrate with all the time. The Neller Center will help us to improve uh, those interactions and to allow us to do it in situations that aren't real conflict so that we get better at it. The proximity of, the, of Quantico and the Neller Center to the National Capital Region, we expect to uh, draw the interest not only of the other services, but of the joint staff, other parts of the uh, Department of Defense, the intelligence community, and the rest of the interagency as well. So in addition to running war games, I do think that other folks are gonna look at the Neller Center and want to bring conferences and other things that require the, uh, the level of capability and information protection that the Neller Center can bring to bear to enhance their efforts too. So, sir, I know we do wargaming now, but obviously with the Neller Center coming online, our capabilities are going to increase. Talk to us a little bit about the, the overall scope and, 
and the number of war games and such that we'll be able to do in the future. Sure, the number of war games and the, the size of those war games that we can play in any given period is, is affected by all the factors that go into the war gaming capability. And we've talked about all of those, but we're gonna expand the number of personnel, which gives us more capacity, and we're gonna expand the space in which we have to play games, which increases the capacity as well. For comparison, right now, the Marine Corps' war gaming division of 30 folks plays eight to 10 war games a year, depending on the size of the game that we're talking about, how many players, is it 10 players, is it 40 players, is it 150 players? In the future, we'll be able to play up to 20 war games a year, or maybe even more, of a game of 150 people or more, when the center is built out to its full operational capability and the war gaming division has personnel up to its full capacity. That's a dramatic improvement. But it's not just the number of games that we can play. It's not just the size or the number of players that can participate in the game. It's the amount of data that we can produce. It's our ability to analyze and report on the results of the game. In the future, we will be able to use information systems to pull in greater amounts of authoritative data. Where did it come from? It's tagged. We know its origin. When we play the game and when we change the variables in it, we can trace it throughout the game based on the wargaming software that's being developed for the center, and we can know that our outputs are good or valid and are traceable throughout. So the start points that we provide for further analysis, our ability to conduct in-stride analysis and then capture it in the reports, and our ability to catalog information, i.e. the game that was played, and go back to it later if we come up with another question uh, that we want to address that wasn't covered during the course of the war game, is significantly enhanced, dramatically improved. More games, better quality, more often, better results. Better data in, better data out. That's the potential that we'll realize through the, uh, the construction and opening of the Neller Center and the operations of the Wargaming Division within it. I have POTUS down here saying, show me that, run that again. <laughs> All right, good we deal. Would we would love to have it. We would love that. Excellent, excellent. All right, so as a critical piece of Force Design 2030, I imagine that right now we are full speed ahead, staffing and recruiting the Nellers for the Neller Center. What, it, what is next for the Neller Center? So you're absolutely right about the, uh, the recruiting effort and the staffing effort. And it's important to note, I think, that this is a mix of personnel that are going to run the center. There's uniformed military members that are going to be in the building. Um, Marines are Australian exchange officer. I expect probably some liaison officers from the other services and other parts of the joint staff. There are government civilian employees from the uh, GS side and from the Intel side that are in the uh, facility. And there are contractor employees. Quite frankly, the contractor contribution to the workforce is numerically the largest. That is consistent with the way the Marine Corps does wargaming right now. Our contractor contribution is, in fact, the core of the wargaming capability. And although I serve as the director and lead it, it takes the entire team to deliver the results that the Marine Corps needs. We're going to grow the wargaming division from approximately 30 folks to 180 and potentially even more when this uh, center achieves its full operational capability. And although that's going to take a few years to get us to that size uh, and that tempo, the growth curve is pretty steep and the recruiting effort is underway. We need people who want to make a difference in order to accomplish the mission of the center. What does that mean? It's the same thing that it always has meant to Marines. People of character 
who are trained and educated and are experts in their trade who are willing to commit the time and effort and energy to make a difference for the Marine Corps and the nation. If that's you, you're the kind of person that we want to be watching for the, uh, for the job postings to come out, and we want to see your resume. If you're interested in war game, wargaming, you pack the character and you pack those other traits that I just listed, there may be a place for you at the Neller Center. I can imagine that aligning the systems and uh, working through a comprehensive networking modernization is going to make uh, the Neller Center just absolutely state-of-the-art. But to you, what makes the center truly revolutionary for the Marine Corps? All of the elements uh, that I've described combined together create an outsized effect. You can take that right back to combined arms operations. No single thing alone is going to deliver what the Marine Corps needs. It's the combination of the facility, the building itself, the information technology and audiovisual systems that are going to go into it, the wargaming software that is being developed right now, and the other wargaming tools that we're going to bring to bear. And again, most importantly, the people within the wargaming division that are going to work within the Neller Center that are going to create this capability. It's not just this center at Quantico, because at its full capability and capacity, this center is going to have the ability to connect remotely to other parts of the Marine Corps with nodes at each of the Marine Expeditionary Forces and likely eventually other places as well, but other services and their wargaming organizations and potentially with our allies and partners. So imagine a network that's not just within the Marine Corps, but is with our joint and alliance and coalition partners that's not just in Quantico, Virginia, but spans the United States and the rest of the globe. The information technology is there and creates the potential to connect this where we need to, when we need to, to get the results that are relevant to the service, the rest of the joint force, and our allies and partners. So when you say that, I envision some 2MEF Marines sitting down on their end, down at Lejeune somewhere, and some Army National Guardsmen sitting somewhere who they need to provide you know, fire support for these 2MEF Marines, and they're all linked up together, and that way they... Our Marines can get their training. The soldiers can get their training. Is that what we're talking about? Yeah, and what you're describing gets into live virtual and constructive training environments and education environments, although there's very translatable aspects of that to the wargaming environment as well. So the, the communication systems, the networks that enable that carry over to all of the use cases that I described. How then will the fleet, you described a little bit about, be able to interact with the Neller Center? How can they request a scenario or a, uh, some kind of a war game to be run? What's the method? So I think the, uh, largely the method will be very similar to the one that we employ now. First of all, there's a wide array of problems that the Marine Corps needs to address, and we can't possibly get to all of them in the time that everybody wants them to, uh, to be completed. But we can help in a number of areas. And as requests come in, and they come from all points of the compass, we record them and we prioritize them and we offer them to our commander as the things that we think are most important, the problems that the Marine Corps needs to address. Some of the filters we use, the key operational problems that the Deputy Commandant for Combat Development Integration has identified for the Marine Corps, but the other Deputy Commandants come up on a frequent basis with other problems that are not on that list that have a high priority and need to be addressed. So we have a conversation quarterly about what we're going to do a year out and beyond. And that's really what you can expect, that the schedule for this building needs to be a year or more in advance. And when requests come in, if it's going to be a, a big war game that gets scheduled, it's going to be that far ahead. 
but the beauty of the future organization going from 30 to over 180 should give us the flexibility to deal with other requests that come in and turn something quickly. And I think that's where the, uh, the wargaming software that's going to be um, uh, installed and employed in the center is going to help the rest of the Marine Corps as well. Because eventually, uh, once it is up and running, it should be available to the Marine Expeditionary Forces and quite potentially other nodes so that they can learn to use it themselves and it'll enhance their capabilities. And maybe I should have asked early, but, but you're talking about problems at all levels. These can be the Commandant could have a problem or a MU Commander could have a problem or the young second lieutenant could have a problem at his level that can be wargamed out. So we really are looking at a true enterprise solution. Yep, exactly, Trip. That is what we are looking at, and it's going to take us a little while to build to that point. But this has this software in particular should have applicability from the tactical to the strategic level inside of the Marine Corps and outside of it, and the center should be able to contribute to helping the rest of the Corps address the, uh, the problems that they need to work on. I appreciate your coming in and, and having a conversation with me today and, and discussing the Wargaming Center. And I, I hope you've enjoyed it half as much as I have because I, I, I really enjoy, have enjoyed the conversation. We do have a series of questions around here. We call them our lightning round questions. Are you ready to hit the lightning round questions? I'm ready to do a hit the lightning round questions. When you were a child, what did you want to be when you grew up? By the time I was 10, I knew that I wanted to be a Marine. That was a, that was a childhood dream that was realized and has continued to deliver. If you could have dinner with any historical figure, who would it be? Pass. Do you have any tips for maintaining a work-life balance? Be better than I have been. So my, my tip would be to plan that as much as you plan the operations for your Marines. Don't leave your family out of it. So many of us take for granted that uh, it's just going to happen. It takes work. And if, uh, if you want to do right by your family, put the work into it. Because there's time for both. And if you find that you don't have time for both, you need to rebalance so that you can take care of the people who will take care of you. What is a TV show, book, movie, or podcast that you'd recommend? I'd start with War Plan Orange, a book that details the uh, U.S.'s war plans efforts against the Empire of Japan over a 40-year period. And putting the force design effort of the Marine Corps in a historical context of how long it took us to get to the concepts and the capabilities, the tactics and the doctrine to execute the Central Pacific Campaign of 1942 to 1945, will help when you're wrestling with problems like redesigning the Marine Corps to deal with uh, the maritime campaigns of the future. Dig into fleet tactics and naval operations, because despite being one of the naval services, most Marines are not conversant in the language of the Navy, and we need to be. And once you study and uh, become familiar with the problems that, you're, that our Navy brothers and sisters are facing, it makes the uh, capabilities that the Marine Corps brings to bear in a maritime campaign, which will also be joint with the other services as well, um, more understandable and helps us to conduct maneuver warfare and combined arms operations in that particular environment. And I'll close it out by also recommending a book that's titled Neptune's Inferno, because if you're looking for a historical case study of what combat in the future might be like based on something that really happened, the Guadalcanal campaign offers a very instructive case study with 1940s analogs for virtually all of the problems and capabilities that we're dealing with today. Are things different? Yes. Is Guadalcanal the answer? No. Could a clash between forces in the future at the beginning of a conflict look pretty similar to what happened in 1942 with surprises for both sides? 
Absolutely. And could the short, sharp campaign that everyone strives to achieve be thwarted and lead to a protracted maritime conflict on the other side of the world? I'm betting on it. We need to be ready. And having a historical context will help prepare for that eventuality. Well, sir, I really enjoyed your answers to the lightning round. And again, I just uh, appreciate the whole, uh, the whole interview conversation. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you for coming in. Thanks. I had a great time, too. Well, this concludes another episode of Equipping the Corps. I hope you've enjoyed our conversation today. If so, please take a couple minutes to leave us a review, subscribe, and tell your friends about us. Until next time, stay safe. This is Trip Elliott signing off.